Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, you're about to get a lesson from a fintech startup on how being contrarian, mad dog contrarian actually, compared to what many of us would countenance, by launching in the middle of COVID using out-of-home sites no one wanted because apparently no one was there to look and regardless has successfully hurtled a challenger stock market trading and superannuation platform into the lion's den against the big four banks. Customers have rocketed tenfold against forecast. Today, Superhero now has ambitions to hit 500,000 customers. The first year target was 10,000 and was blown out of the water in the first three weeks. It's a fascinating tale of how startups in Australia are twigging on to what the Americans have been doing for a few years, using big main media to get brand awareness and credibility faster and appear bigger and therefore safer to consumers than a typical default to search social and long-tail targeted digital placements. It's a compelling case study that should have many of us, including myself, think, shit, I should have done that. So with us today to unpack how some creativity, luck and bravery in the middle of a pandemic has catapulted Superhero to super fast success. With us is marketing lead Rachel Hopping and Hard Hat founder Dan Monheit, both of whom have witnessed the fast ride from the inside. So welcome to you both. This is a great conversation. Uh, it was a very, very interesting sort of debriefing we had, guys. To Rachel, uh, you first. We'll get to the to what sort of superhero does so differently versus the big banks shortly. But let's start with the brave bit first. What the hell were you thinking launching in the middle of a pandemic and using out of home to launch? No one wanted that channel because no one was on the streets. Explain this madness, Rachel Hopping. Welcome. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. Um, Look, I can't actually take credit for that madness. Um, I joined the business just as this this out-of-home campaign had started to launch, and I myself had those questions when I first joined. Superhero, uh, you might hint it in the name, was initially planned to be a super platform. Um, And then during the pandemic, our founders, John and Wayne, actually pivoted to launch a trading platform first. Um, You know... I guess the luck in that was that share trading um, was, I guess, garnering some some traction in the market. People were talking about it more than ever. We'd had the big crash and the market was definitely uh, being spoken about a lot. But at the same time, everyone was in their houses. So you might think for a marketing strategy, it would have made sense to go heavy on digital straight away. Um, And the guys did definitely launch with strong digital, but... For us, it was all about how do we create that brand credibility fast in the market um, and take advantage of where the market was at as well. You know, people had all pulled out of out of home. You know, there was this thought in the market of, oh, we'll, we'll just wait and see. We'll wait till everything gets fully back to normal and then we'll invest. Um, and so we took advantage of that. Um, we said, no, we're, we're going to go for it anyway. Um, and it really paid off. You know, when things started in December, we did have a bit of a, a lockdown scare happen. This is December 2020. Um, but then as the market did come back, as it always does, people were out. They were walking around. They were loving being outside and Superhero followed them everywhere they went. Um, so whether you were, you know, walking past a light rail in the city, 
going for your daily coffee, you know, superhero was there. Um, and we really made an impact that way. We're going to get to all this this great pivot that happened too, and, and it's just a really interesting sort of change in, in, in the strategy of the company before it launched. But Dan, talk to us first about um, this this what you saw prior to the launch. There was there was kind of a whole bunch of stuff going on. Tell us tell us what happened then from your eyes. Uh, around eighteen months before Rach joined, uh, we started working with the guys from Superhero, who at the time were basically two guys tiny bit of funding, largely bootstrapped with this incredible ambition to reshape the way superannuation works. There was, I guess, this this insight that people didn't feel the control over super like it was their own money. Uh, they were really distanced from it and that millions of people had been designed out of investing the money like it was actually theirs. So the, the guys had put together this incredible platform to give people more control over how they invested their superannuation. And that got them to the starting line for a roughly two-year battle through bureaucracy and red tape and regulations. And apparently it's not that easy to just start up a superannuation fund in this country. So as they were you know, working through this, the, the, the pandemic happened. And what the guys realized was this platform and this interface that they built actually could be potentially just as successful and as it turns out maybe even more successful as a trading platform rather than just a superannuation platform and and what that meant was that instead of um, transferring your super in there to access it anybody with a hundred dollars and willing to pay five dollars for a trade could basically start trading shares the same day versus like a twenty dollar trade for comsec and so forth right exactly and you know so a couple of the the uh issues that they were going up against one was the I would say prohibitive design of how most of the traditional trading platforms work. That there's, there's lots of people that are smart enough and have enough money enough that they should be trading shares, but it's just unnecessarily difficult from a user experience perspective. Cost prohibitive, so high minimum amounts you need in your account, $20 a trade, which is just outrageous, um, and just the, the general accessibility of it. So that's what the guys set out to disrupt, and um, they done a pretty bloody good job so just to um, i'm going to get back to rachel we might ask you now rachel just tell us the background of of the founders of superhero we had a stockbroker who was behind zips ipo and we have the chief technology officer at booktopia which is one of the great australian sort of digital startup or digital uh stories so talk us through a little bit of who the, who the founders were rachel yeah so i mean superhero is a is a fintech startup if you like um and what we've done is well who the guys are is very much the best of finance and the best of tech um, but very, very different in their skill set. So John had been a stockbroker. Um, he was at Shoren Partners when he was quite involved in the IPO of Zip, who we know have been a disruptor in the finance space themselves. And so having this idea of, you know, superannuation, this needs to change. Um, we need to provide more access to people um, and control and transparency over their super. He took that idea to, I think he calls Wayne the smartest guy he knows, um, and said, Wayne, you know, how much do you have in your super? And Wayne had no idea. Um, and so that was really the birth of their their idea to really disrupt this market. Um, and I think having Wayne, who doesn't come from a finance background as a founder is great because he'll always question things from the mind of you and I. Um, so from the mind of someone that doesn't have that finance experience. So when, you know, John might know something that's quite technical on the finance side. Wayne will say, oh, but but normal people won't understand that. Um, and so it's this really great balance between ex- the expertise that we need to delve into the finance world, but also Wayne's, um, not only his user experience expertise, his technical expertise, but also 
his very pragmatic way of looking at the world um, and right. asking the, asking the right questions at the right time. So as, as Dan pointed out, and, I, and either of you can, we'll just we'll just go between you on, on your thoughts, but there, there was a sort of a big moment at some point, I think maybe late 2019, early 2020, where the idea of launching the super uh, platform was so bogged down in red tape and regulatory sort of barriers that there was a there was a big shift and okay we're going to repurpose to what Dan said um, repurpose the platform. Um, just talk us through uh, how quickly that happened and then crikey then within six months you'd you'd launched something you hadn't even thought of perhaps eight months earlier. Um, it's a really interesting story there. Just work tell, tell talk us through that. Sure. So we were we were kind of ready to go with Super. We had we had a video ready to go. We had ads ready to go, which probably nobody will ever see. Um, and the, the guys just saw this window of opportunity, and I would say they decided in a matter of days, and within a matter of a couple of weeks, we'd basically redeveloped all of the creative. We'd had the conversations about where and how we were going to launch. And a couple of weeks after that, we were in market with the first three sort of big, well, at the time, big pieces of comms. Um, you know, they say sometimes you, you have a lot of money to work with and, and other times you have to cheat and use creativity. So <laughs> we didn't have a lot of money to work with. Um, so what we launched was, was three basically big outdoor messages. Uh, we had white text on a blue background and the secret sauce was all in the tone. So we're coming up against some pretty big established stodgy competitors and superhero really wanted to make an impact from day one. So from memory, the three pieces of creative that launched were, we're giving trading a kick up the ASX, hmm. hang on just the Comsec, why are you still paying 1995 a share and get your fair shares. And then, Pretty cheeky stuff. Well, <laughs> we wanted people to know right from the get-go that this was going to be different. And really, we wanted to open up trading to people that wouldn't have considered themselves to be share traders before. And so we had to take a, a playbook and a, a language that was more in line with the average person on the street than the average person working in a stockbroking company. Yeah, f- fascinating. And Rachel, it seemed to have worked, strangely enough. Talk us through w- what happened uh, in terms of post-campaign, what you started to see. Yeah, definitely did. I mean, there's the age-old question between kind of brand awareness and performance activity as marketers. We're always trying to find that balance. Um, And I think, I mean, friends of mine that had never spoken about finance were all of a sudden saying, you know, who's this superhero brand? Why is the whole city painted blue? Um, It definitely said that we were a confident brand. Um, that we weren't, like Dan said, afraid to do things differently. And I think it created this credibility and sense of us being much bigger than we were in the market when we'd only been around for less than six months at the time. Um, So it really kind of fast forwarded our journey to being a significant brand in the market. Um, And we're definitely still seeing the benefits of that now. So yes, we saw an uptick in our traffic and all of those things when the campaign was on, but as we've continued our journey and, and continued our strong brand activity, um, people have still thrown back to those times when they remember seeing our buses um, or, you know, it's kind of that, that first awareness step for them people to have us in their consideration set for when they are ready um, to start investing. So, so so what was the process, Rachel? Where was where did the idea, at what point did it go, okay, you know, we talked uh, we talked in the intro about so many uh, digital startups um, and, and disruptors using that, that, that sort of uh, the Dollar Shave Club uh, model of 10 years ago where um, owner gets on YouTube, does a great 
uh, ad or video goes viral, gets lots of traction, becomes the sort of the mousetrap for customer acquisition uh, and so forth. Um, now we're seeing in the US, um, we talked about this in the US where some of those startups are going into the big impact fast reach mediums to build some cred and awareness first before you get down into digital on some other uh, in some other for some other functions so where at, at superhero did the idea come to go let's go crazy let's use some stuff that no one's actually allegedly used seeing uh, but we're going to do it um, there's an advantage here on cost and availability and so forth how did that come about i think it's a number of things firstly on that point around viral social videos and that really kind of core digital strategy. Um, Digital is big for us, but people are overwhelmed with content on social media. I don't know about your feeds, but for me, it's just a constant scroll of the same thing now. Every second thing I see is an ad. And so, you know, not only are people overwhelmed, but I think there's, there's a tiredness that's coming from digital media as well. And at the end of the day, it's on your phone. Um, and so to create that really big impact and really reach scale and brand awareness and credibility fast, you know, digital's just, you know, it's not going to get you there in the same way, um, in the same credible way that that having those more traditional media channels does. Was that something, Rachel, that the team went in to thinking about or was it a result of a tactical opportunity that came up because you saw that there was no one on out of home there was obviously some very good pricing i'd love to ask you how cheap you actually got them i don't think you're going to tell me but i'll have a, i'll ask the question but where did that where did it come from at what point did, did that happen we work with a great media agency as well avenue c and yeah everyone was pulling out of out of home um very scared to use it and so there were some cracker prices that we were able to take advantage of and meant that we were on for a lot longer um, than what we otherwise would have been. So that longevity as well and not just doing, you know, a short, because we didn't have any money, quick four weeks, we were able to actually spread that over months and months, create that long-term frequency as well with people, which I think without of home is really, really important. Um, You know, seeing a banner once might might not make you make a decision, but if you feel like you can't get away, um, and a brand is following you everywhere you go, that's when you start to take notice. Well, you, you had visibility then, Dan, uh, on this. Was it, was, it a, was it a hard decision or a no-brainer? Always in retrospect, oh, of course that's what we were going to do. But at, at the <laughs> yes. time, it was like, are, are we going to blow the whole lot on uh, this outdoor opportunity? And I, I think in hindsight, we look back at it and we say there are definitely three magical ingredients here. You know, we had to have some good creativity, that the messaging had to be good. We had to have some bravery and the client absolutely was. Like again, in hindsight, it's the obvious thing to do. But if you guys can cast your minds back to March, 2020, I mean, we all thought the world was going to end. So no point dying with money in your pocket. Might as well spend it on some ads, right? So we needed some creativity. We needed some bravery. And the third ingredient was we got a bit of luck. And that was because everybody had pulled out, to Rachel's point, that the ads were just up for so long. It was was wonderful. And uh, the long tail... Oh, impact of that is something we are we are still feeling today. And you mentioned that um, Rachel too that the long tail of that brand effect is still happening. Um, and but you've added more more to the mix now, right? You've got a bit of television or at least Bvod, and you've got some YouTube, and you're doing some other things. Unpack what you think that halo effect is from the initial um, uh, phase of the campaign, and what you're doing now, and what is what is the difference there? The the way that I felt about it was that out of home was our 
was our we're here. It was our stamp on the map. It was saying that we're not afraid. We're superhero. We're here to stay. Um, and, and we're going to challenge the traditional players in the market. Um, I think what TV did for us, it allowed us to go into new and more national markets, which you know, allowed us to expand our reach beyond what we were doing with Out of Home. But more than that, I think what TV does is it allows you to tell a story and it allows you to really connect one-to-one with your audience. Um, our choice, we, based on our audience, so our, our core audience is kind of the 25 to 45-year-old audience. You might think, why TV? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we, we focus very much on the AFL. Um, and so not only does that give you broad reach and scale, but it was definitely a relevant audience for us and a captive audience. Right. You don't want to miss that next goal or, or coming back after the ad break. It's a very, very engaged, relevant audience for us that, yeah, that really worked in terms of telling that superhero story. I've got to ask um, this question. So you did you did, you did, did BVOD, you had the AFL. I think there was some uh, reality shows as well. Was it Love Island? Yeah. I got a lot of messages saying, I saw superhero on Love Island um, on catch-up TV. So right. we did a lot um, across Nine Now and SBS. So, again, okay. targeting those relevant audiences for us. And um, YouTube. And you did YouTube, right? And YouTube, yes. So definitely right. targeting the digital natives, um, which our platform is definitely designed for. Give us a sense. Uh, which platforms worked for you? Can you can you give us some attribution uh, deconstruction here, uh, Rachel, on, on how YouTube, we hear this ongoing battle between BVOD, YouTube and beyond. Do they do the same? Do they serve the same role? Do they deliver the same performance? I think it all depends. I mean, it depends on your, on your budget mix as well and where you're investing. Um, I think for us, it's all about reaching people wherever they are. And so having multiple channels is where you get the best effect. Um, so, you know, if someone is watching their nine now and then they go on YouTube and, and they're seeing you in multiple areas of their life or in multiple activities, I think that's where the effect really starts to pay off. Um, is that everywhere they seem to go, you're popping up and particularly, I mean, it's very unfortunate that we've had to go into lockdown again and we had to go into lockdown kind of around the June time, which is, again, a bit of that luck that Dan spoke about. We went into lockdown and that was really when our TV activity kicked off. Yeah, you, you've you got a rainbow all over you. I think they're, they're causing the lockdowns. Yeah, yes. Oh, so superheroes to blame for this. I get it now. Paul, if, if I may, two things that get... Uh, a really bad rap. Uh, I mean, you know, one is this idea of att- attribution modeling. And, you know, I spend most of my time thinking about and talking about behavioral science stuff. And so the idea that we would even know why we do something most of the time is fanciful. So even if people were to declare for us that they came and signed up because of the TV ad they just saw, uh, it doesn't mean that that was a thing because it might have been the TV ad that they saw as well as the 35 times they drove past a billboard plus the thing on catch up plus 12 mentions from friends. So I think the attribution question is just, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll ever get to, to the bottom of it. The, the other thing that I think gets a really bad rap is the idea of wastage and the, the, the idea that people who aren't in our target market shouldn't see the ad. And I think for, for any product the safety and security of knowing that other people have seen the ad is important. But for something like financial services, where we're literally asking people initially for their trading money and then for their life savings in terms of superannuation, you know, it is really important if we think about that football audience that even if half the people there are never going to become customers, when the half that are say to other people, oh, I've just put some money into Superhero and it's great, it, it's really valuable that they say, oh, yeah, I, I know that brand. They look interesting. Not who, who is that and what are you doing that for? 
Yeah, it's a, the great points, and and you've seen that, Rachel. Right, that's that's exactly what's happened. Uh, the reassurance, if you like, that this thing is this this superhero mob aren't as tiny as what you might have just been about a year ago. Definitely, and we're seeing it come through in feedback from our customers, in their family and friends as well. So, like Dan said, we did a bunch of research and and looked into some of our our customers' feedback. We did a survey with around four thousand of our customers, and most of them or a large portion of them actually said that they heard about superhero from friends and family and like dan said it might be and this happened the other day someone's seen the ad on tv they've gone who is this superhero they then ask a family member have you heard of this brand they've heard of it so that then creates this loop of trust that oh you know people in my life have also heard of it it must be credible Um, so it's that that reassurance from those close to you as an effect of seeing our advertising. It reminds me of a great argument from Rolex. Why does Rolex sponsor Wimbledon when actually you could target high net worth uh, customers online really, really uh, easily uh, and quickly and more efficiently, if you like, to convert to a to a to a purchase? But Rolex needs other people to know that Rolex is is a, a luxury watch, and it's that whole re- affirmation and confirmation stuff going on the same thing. And sometimes, to your point, Rachel, both of you really, the rush for targeting can sometimes eliminate the wastage the upside to wastage as Dan points Dan I want to ask you a couple of questions um just around uh you know we've talked a lot about channel mix and the sort of the tactical advantages that uh, superhero got from that but equally creative and the messaging is really important you talked about tone so we saw the tone combination with the channel um I think even out of home some of the out of home operators say 50 percent of the impact of the medium is actually from the create from the creative and the messaging so you guys obviously nailed that right so the tone in the initial um phase was was what you've talked about what's next so what happens in the creative and the tone now is it shifting you're absolutely right i mean the 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 spend on media just gets you the opportunity to get noticed there's no guarantee so the creative act absolutely has to do its part for the media investment to pay off uh, it's been interesting watching how we're sort of evolving the brand that I think that there is a, a chapter in every great tech startup story where it moves from being pirates to being more like the Navy. Right. And, you know, if we look at, you know, Apple 1984 through to Apple launching the iPod, if we look at you know Uber using being sued in every country in the world as their PR strategy through to running campaigns about see you soon, you know, this is just part of the evolution for every brand. And we're absolutely working with the guys at Superhero on that at the moment. The first campaign was very much about what we're doing and we're here to shake things up and burn things down, just keeping that PG rating that we have on the show, right? <laughs> yes, um, well, thank you. The, the, the current TVC that's running, um, the line on that is the floor is yours. And it starts talking a lot more to not just what we're doing, but what we can help you do as, as a customer. And you know, the, I think the really interesting, fun challenge that we're working on creatively at the moment is how fast do we make that transition from plucky startup to, you know, established financial institution? Um, and how do we do it at the right pace for us, but also the right pace for our customers? 
Got it. Um, so, Rachel, I, I think we've talked a lot about the comms and the channel, but there's also this thing called the product or the platform, which is quite different too. It's it's very, very different. It's user-friendly. So, you know, you can have all the great comms, but if you don't have the backup and actually delivering on it, who cares? Tell us a little bit about how radically simple that the platform works for people as opposed to, you know, Dan talks about designing people out of financial services. Tell us about what the product is and why it's so different. And don't forget to talk about the interesting competitive pushback that you face in that some of the banks force customers to print, uh, fill out manually forms, uh, which stops the, 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 the competitive dynamics of getting new customers in. So a whole bunch of stuff in there, but start with, that, start with the product first, product design. Absolutely. Like you said, Paul, you can have the greatest marketing in the world, but if you don't have a product that lives up to the customer's expectation, you're never going to be successful. Um, and so it really is down to the product at the end of the day as to why Superhero is successful and has seen continued success. I think when you think about the world around you and how we use technology today, whether that's watching you know, your shows on Netflix, whether that's ordering Uber Eats, whether that's ordering an Uber to, to get from A to B, everything that we do today is instant, it's transparent, it's easily accessible. And the finance world really hasn't caught up to that. It's starting to, you think of the likes of Afterpay and Zip in the buy now, pay later space, or the likes of Up or 86400 in banking. These kind of challenger brands have started to come up, but the investment space and particularly the superannuation space just was still in the dark ages. Um, And so the first step of that was onboarding. So a superhero customer, Wayne actually presented about this at a conference and someone while he was speaking actually signed up, got approved, deposited money and made a trade within the 20 minutes of his presentation. And that, and that wasn't that wasn't a superhero plant by any chance, was it? It wasn't at all. I know. <laughs> that would have been smart. It's very impressive. Yeah, it's all about making things simple, efficient, instant. Um, and so that starts at onboarding so that someone's not you know, get stuck halfway, can't figure out what to do. We have live chat support there all the way through that sit in Sydney um, at 24 hours. So it's all about being there for the customer and making sure that their experience is as smooth as possible at the start. You know, if you lose someone in onboarding, it's a lot harder to win them back um, Mm. if they've already had that difficult experience with you. So it starts there, um, but then it really is all about control and transparency for us so people can manage their trading and their super in one place we provide all of the access to aussie shares to us shares but still try to make the experience as simple as possible so we've got one invest tab where you can see different categories of shares and we use brand logos which i think is a really important differentiator for the stocks you're talking about for the stocks so Mm. instead of seeing a whole bunch of codes and names that you don't really understand you actually see the logos of some of the brands you know and love whether that's apple whether that's nike spotify shopify and so all of a sudden the conversation shifts from finance and stocks to what are the brands that we know people are using that we know are growing you can see it in what they're doing out in the world in marketing as well um and so it opens up 
the conversation to people that aren't just from a finance background. Well, well, even the language you use is different. And, and Dan, I think, admitted earlier on that um, suddenly he understands stock market trading thanks to Superhero because he's not that clever to understand how sort of NAB Trade or Comsec uh, defines its uh, delivers the information. Sorry, Dan, a little bit of a quip there. You can get defence in a minute, but the language you use um, is around instead of going, you know, Nasdaq 100. What do you call them? So we have a function called themes on superhero. So ETF, which is another finance acronym, um, it's a basket of stocks particularly. So it's you know often used by first time investors who don't wanna go and choose individual companies, but they're named often things like the, the beta shares NASDAQ 100 ETF. And if right. you've never invested in a stock before, you don't know what that means. Um, and so we've named that US tech giants because that's what it is. It's the biggest US tech companies in the world listed in the US. So if that's just an example of how we're changing the language um, yeah. and becoming a lot more inclusive with our platform. And that's, help, and that's helping you, Dan Monheide, I think. Well, it, it is. I mean, look, I, I, I'm not the guy who knows how to do macros in an Excel spreadsheet. And I think what's so amazing about the superhero interface is everything and nothing. Like if you have shopped online using ASOS or Net-A-Porter, you get on Superhero and it's just obvious. Like how, how else would you design a trading platform? It looks like e-commerce. And then you go and look at what some of the legacy systems look like and you realize why I think it's 12 million Australian adults have never actively bought a share. I mean, that it's just, we talk about people being designed out of it. It is in the actual user experience. It's in the language. It's in the, the chatter around it. And there's really no need for that, especially not in 2021. We're going to have to wrap up soon because I could keep going. But what happened to you? What's happened to your customer mix, uh, Rachel? You've, where are they coming from? Are they coming from some of those uh, other trading platforms that are you know, big from the big four, or are they new to the entire sort of trading market investment investment trading? It's both, Paul. Our core audience are that millennial digital native customer, so they're the ones that are comfortable using e-commerce platforms. They're very digital in everything that they do, and they're really they go getters in life. They want more out of their money. They do want to build wealth. So it's this kind of yeah digital native. Hustle is not really the, the right term, but they do want more out of their money. Um, when that comes to experience in investing, we are seeing both. So you mentioned that <laughs> the incumbent players have sometimes made it quite difficult to transfer from broker to broker. Um, so there's a lot of manual processes that sometimes make it difficult, but we are seeing experienced investors come over to the platform for reasons such as cost, the simplicity, the convenience of the platform. But what's really encouraging is that we are seeing more first-time investors than ever. Um, we're seeing people who have not even, you know, they haven't invested in property before, they haven't even had a micro-investing account before, and they're investing on Superhero for the first time, um, which, you know, as a brand, is so encouraging to see people starting their wealth creation journey with Superhero. Look, I know we, we, we talked about this too. It's a little bit technical, but it's, I think it's a really important underpinning for the innovation and disruption that's come that's coming from Superhero as to why can Superhero only charge $5 a trade versus some of the others? And I'll, I'll stop naming them because I noticed you you two have. Um, no, I can I can actually call it, but you know, some of the big the big big four trading platforms are $20 a, a, a stock trade or a, a trade. Why uh, has Superhero Hero been able to 
get it down to five? Is it gouging from the big four or is it actually some interesting different way you go to market? Because Superhero was built as a superannuation platform, um, and we won't get too much into the technicals, but there's a model called the custodian model, um, which is, I guess, a, a holding account where assets are held on behalf of members. Um, and so when it came time to that pivot and to moving into trading, the guys realized, and this is not new, this is how super funds work, this is how fund managers work, this is how all international trading in Australia works, is through this custodian model. Um, and so the guys realized we can do this for, for Aussie trading as well. Um, and it's, you know, it's fully regulated, it's secure. Um, but what they're able to do or what they were able to do is build this technology that they had, use it for trading and actually pass on those cost savings to members. So it aggregates, essentially aggregates all of your customers into one front to the, to the ASX to trade rather than individuals having to have their own number. I think you call it a HIN or something, but um, it's, it sort of just consolidates and aggregates everything into one bundle. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, as an individual customer, your shares are still held in your name. Um, and, and you are the full beneficial owner of that. But it just means that some of those costs are able to be saved, which means cheaper trading for our customers. We're, we're out of time, but, but to both of you, what's next for Superhero? So you, you've had this tremendous success. Um, you've got your eye on a set of 10,000 customers, Rachel, in the, in, the, in the first year. You got to that in the first couple of weeks. You're now well over 100,000. And now your ambition is to get to 500,000. How are you going to do that? What's next in this superheroes, super cause, super jump? I was having a think about this one, Paul, and I'm going to use a little bit of alliteration here, but there's enablement, which is all about the products and features that people want. So it's how we create our product that, that gives people the best experience possible when they're investing, whether they are a first timer or whether they're an experienced trader. The second element of it, of it is education. So providing that education for people, whether they are making their first trade or whether they want to know more about the different companies available on Superhero, it's all about how we bring people into the conversation and help them along the journey. Um, and the third element of that is, and this is gonna sound a bit corny, is empowerment. So it's how do we create our brand? And this is where, you know, hard hat help us a lot too, is how do we make sure that our brand is inclusive, speaks to our audience in a way that makes them feel supported by us and makes them feel empowered to make better financial decisions and build their wealth. That's the strategic play. Dan, to wrap up, comms and tone and messaging, how how does it fit in with uh, how do you fit in with what that, that bigger picture is? So we've got a very exciting 12, 12 months ahead. I think we've had the, the best first year anybody could ever have imagined. Uh, and the, the opportunity now is to, you know, slowly transition the business from this plucky challenger startup into the, the leadership position of the new way of trading that it, it deserves. And so uh, for those of you guys who might be hearing about Superhero for the first time, I can assure you, you are going to be hearing and seeing a lot more from us in the coming weeks and months. And uh, with so many millions of Australians still not even in this category as as customers, uh, we absolutely believe we're just getting started. And there's, there's a huge amount of uh, headroom for growth. 
tantalising. Uh, Rachel, to wrap up, do you think that you're on the radar yet of the big four? I can't say too much, but I think we are. <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm getting messages, Paul. I'm getting messages from contacted big four banks asking us to please stop it. <laughs> yes. Rachel, stop your work. Hey, this is a great conversation and, I, and I'd love to keep going, but we'll definitely come back and see what phase two is about and, and, and this whole this whole journey is, is um, really, really interesting. So Rachel Hopping, Dan Monite, stay safe. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Paul. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 audio edition to listen for free. Listener.